Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3? John wrote his gospel so that we might have eternal life. He wrote 1 John so that we might know we have eternal life. And perhaps nowhere is that more evident than in the passage we're going to look at today. John's design for us is to know. And the key verse of this chapter is verse 10. It says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now all humanity in the sight of God is divided into two classes. There's not one class, even though you hear people so often say, we're all children of God. And there are not three classes. There are not the divine and the devilish and then all the rest of us, the morally neutral. There are two and only two classes of people. And that's why the question is, who is the child of God? And who is the child of the devil? And how do you tell them apart? Well, John says it's obvious. You can pick them out by looking at two things, two tests. The moral test, righteousness, and the social test, love. Do they obey God and do they love their brother? And John expands on these two tests in this third chapter. Prior to verse 10 and verses 4 to 9, he talks about the test of righteousness. After verse 10, in verses 11 to 24, he talks about the test of love. This morning, we're going to look at the moral test, righteousness, in verses 4 through 9. And in these verses, John gives us three reasons why the children of God are characterized by righteousness. Three reasons why the children of God are not characterized by sin. And those three reasons are, number one, because of what sin is. Number two, because of what Jesus has done. And number three, because of what we are. First of all, because of what sin is. Verse four. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. Now, what is sin? Well, several scriptures sort of give us definitions. Later in 1 John 5, 17, he says, all unrighteousness is sin. James 4, 17 says, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Romans 14, 23 says, whatever is not of faith, is sin. But here John equates sin with lawlessness. He says sin is lawlessness. Now your translation may say sin is the transgression of the law. That doesn't really capture what this means. Because the Greek word here means no law or anti-law. Sin doesn't just break the law. Sin lives as if there is no law. Sin is rebellion against the law. 
You see, whenever I sin, I am taking the position that I don't recognize any authority. I am a law unto myself. I make up my own rules for life. I will do what I want to do no matter what. You see, sin is not just the act of defilement. Sin is the attitude of defiance. Heard about a little girl who was riding in the car with her daddy. and She got up and stood up on the passenger seat. He turned to her and said, Honey, sit down and put your seatbelt on. And she ignored him. And so he said it again. And she declined. And so, she, so he said, Honey, if you don't sit down right now and put your seatbelt on, I'm going to pull to the side of the road and I'm going to spank you. And so she obeyed. And a few moments later, she turned to him and said, Daddy, I'm still standing up inside. You see, that's the nature of sin. Sin is defiance against the law of God. The English poet W.E. Henley captures this attitude in his poem, Invictus, which is interesting. It's, it's the favorite poem of many people. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but a horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is the attitude behind sin because Sin is lawlessness. Sin lives as if there is no law. Now just imagine taking that stance in regard to the laws of our government. You say, I recognize no laws. No one tells me what to do. And so you bomb banks and you hijack airplanes and you ignore traffic signals. What are you really doing? You are living as if there is no law, which is really living as if there is no government. You see, when you do that with the law of man, that pattern applies. But John is talking here about the law of God. And that same pattern applies. When I defy God's law, when I rebel against God's law, what am I really doing? I'm living as if there is no law which is really living as if there is no God. You see, when you choose to practice sin, you are committing practical atheism. You are saying, I respect no law, I recognize no authority, I acknowledge no God. Sin is lawlessness. Now, can that be the thing that characterizes the life of a child of God? John says, no. You see, a Christian, rather than defying and disregarding God's law, will desire 
and delight in and love God's law. He will say with the psalm writer in Psalm 119, The law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I hate and despise falsehood, but I love thy law. I long for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. And so the first reason why the child of God doesn't live in sin is because of what sin is. And then there's a second reason the child of God doesn't live in sin, and that is because of what Jesus has done. Look at verse 5. And this is the message... I'm sorry, verse 5. I need to turn the page. And you know that He appeared in order to take away sins. Now, the passage we looked at last week looked forward to Christ's future appearing. In chapter 2 and verse 28, we read, When He appears. In chapter 3, verse 2, we read, We know that when He appears. That passage is looking forward to His appearance. This passage is looking back to His first appearance. Verse 5 says, You know that He appeared. Verse 8 in the middle says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose. You see, John not only wants us to look forward to the second appearing of Christ, he wants us to look back to the first appearing of Christ. He not only wants us to look forward to what Christ will do someday, he wants us to look back to what Christ did do. So the question is, what did Christ do the first time he appeared? Well, you know, if you ask people why Christ came, you'll probably get a number of answers. Some people will tell you that Christ came to reveal what God is like. And while that's true, that he did come to show us what God is like, that was not the real reason he came. Some people will tell you that Christ came to give us an example of how we ought to live. And while it's true that he gave us an example of how to live, that's not the real reason that he came. Others will tell you that Christ came to show us just how much God loved us. And while it's true that He showed us love beyond any love we had ever seen, that's not the real reason He came. See, John tells us the real reason He came in verses 5 to 8. And he tells us that Jesus came to do two things. First of all, to take away sins in verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 again. And you know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. His whole purpose in coming was to take our sins away. That's what the angel told Joseph before Jesus was ever born in Matthew 1.21. You shall call His name Jesus, for it is He who will save His people from their sins. He came to take away sins. Now, how did He accomplish that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says He became sin for us. Your sin and my sin was placed upon Him. He became our sacrifice. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why John adds in verse 5, and in Him there is no sin. In order to bear our sin, He had to be the sinless, spotless Lamb. He had to be the perfect sacrifice. 
And so the first thing Jesus came to do was to take away our sins. You say, well, what does that mean to me? I mean, what is John's point? Well, his point is in verse 6. He came to take away sins, verse 6. No one who abides in him, the one who has no sin and who came to take away sin, no one who abides in him sins. And no one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, those are absolute statements. John says, no one who sins knows Christ. What's he saying? Christians don't sin. Now, before you raise your hand and point out one who does, let me just help you a little bit with this verse and, because we need to understand the Greek tenses here. The verbs here are in the continuous present tense. And they express continual habitual action. You could translate this verse this way. No one who is continually, habitually abiding in Christ will continually, habitually be sinning. And no one who is continually, habitually sinning knows Christ. You see, a Christian as a habit of life is abiding in fellowship with Christ. And while sin may at times enter his life, it's the exception rather than the rule. Sin is not a habit with the believer. Now, obviously, a believer will sin. But John is saying that the pattern of a Christian's life will not be continually toward sin. And when that is the case, John says that person has never seen him or known him. That person does not have a relationship with him. No matter what they claim, if their life is continually, habitually a pattern of sin, John says they were never saved. Because you see, that life contradicts the very thing Jesus came to do, and that was to take away sins. And then he gives a second reason Christ came. And that is to destroy the works of the devil in verses 7 and 8. Notice verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Don't let anybody come up and put their arm on your shoulder and say, that's okay, everybody's doing it. And anyway, it doesn't really matter how you live your life. John says, don't let anybody deceive you because the one who is really righteous will practice righteousness. How did people in the first century know that Jesus was righteous? He practiced righteousness. John says he is righteous. The same principle applies to you and me. A righteous character expresses itself in righteous conduct. You say, well, what about the one who doesn't practice righteousness? What about the person who practices sin? Well, he talks about that in verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Now, what's it mean to be of the devil? Well, he clarifies that down in verse 10 when he talks about a person being a child of the devil. You see, one, one, a person whose life is characterized by sin 
is not the child of God. They are the child of the devil because their lifestyle is showing forth the nature and characteristics of their father. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say, For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The devil was the very first sinner. He is the father of sin. Now, God didn't create the devil as the devil. God created him as an angel. His name, in fact, was the star of the morning. He was beautiful. He was intelligent. He had great responsibility. But he chose to rebel. And we have a description of that rebellion in Isaiah chapter 14. If you want to just turn back there. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven... I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol to the recesses of the pit. Now, if you notice there, he says the phrase, I will, five times. You see, he viewed God as an obstacle to his own plans. He set himself up to be like God. He set himself up above God's law and above God's will, and he became a law unto himself. He was lawless. And John is simply saying, anyone who has that same lawless character is not of God, but is of the devil. You say, but... How can we keep from being influenced by the devil when the Bible says he's the ruler of this world? Well, that goes back to what Jesus has done. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? Well, we can make a long list, probably, of the works of the devil, but I think you could sum up his work with one concept, and that is the main thing he is doing is promoting sin. And his best tactic for doing that is deception. And I think you can point to two things that the devil primarily deceives people about. Number one, he deceives people about his own influence. A recent survey by George Barna indicated that only two out of five Americans believe in the existence of Satan. Only two out of five even believe he exists. And that's his best tactic, because if he can get people to believe he doesn't exist, then they're not going to notice the influence he has in their lives. I like what D.L. Moody said. He said, He knew that the devil was real for two reasons. First, because the Bible says so. And second, because he had done business with him. We've all done business with him, haven't we? Someone else said it's stupid for modern civilization to have given up believing in the devil when he's the only explanation for it. Satan deceives people about his own influence. 
But secondly, he deceives people about sin. And I want you to turn back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Because, you know, his tactics haven't changed since he deceived Eve in the garden. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them authority over all creation. And he said to them, there's only one thing that they couldn't do. And that was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here in Genesis chapter 3, you can see that the devil tells three lies about sin that he's still telling today. First of all, he lies about the criterion in verse 1. He comes to Eve in verse 1, and notice the end of the verse. He says to her, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, God said you can't eat from one tree in the garden. He comes and questions the criterion. He says, did God say you can't eat from any tree? You see, he confuses where the line is drawn by God. And that's his tactic. When you look around today, you find people, even church people, debating what is sin and what is not. Why is that? Because Satan is influencing that. He is telling lies about where God has drawn the line on sin. And so he lies about the criterion. Second of all, he lies about the consequences. Eve says, God says, if we sin, we'll die. And in verse 4, Satan says, you surely shall not die. Have you ever heard people say, God is too loving to ever punish sin? That started back in the garden. God won't do what he says. God won't punish sin. You know, it's interesting to me that Satan will adapt to whatever works. In verse 1, he's a legalist. Everything's a sin. Verse 4, now he has liberal theology. He says God's not going to do what he says. He'll adapt to whatever sells. And so he lies about the criterion. He lies about the consequences. And thirdly, he lies about the culmination. He says in verse 5, If you sin, you will be like God. He tells us, that sin is the road to ultimate fulfillment in life. And so he lies about the criterion where God draws the line. He lies about the consequences. God's not going to really punish sin. And he lies about the culmination. Sin is your road to fulfillment. And John tells us that Jesus came for the purpose of destroying the works of of the devil. And that word destroy in 1 John chapter 3 means to loose. To untie the works of the devil as if they were chains. You see, he has loosed the bonds and set us free. And so the children of God are not to be characterized by sin because of what Jesus has done. He took our sins away and he set us free from the devil's works. And when you and I live a life of sin, we are making the statement that Jesus did not accomplish what he came to do. Which brings us to the third reason the children of God are not to be characterized by sin. And that is because of what we are in verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin 
because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now John makes some strong statements in this verse. He says, no child of God practices sin. And then he says, no child of God can sin. Now this is a tough verse. I I found at least seven interpretations of this verse. I think a few of them are worth mentioning. One interpretation of this verse is the idea of sinless perfection, that you as a Christian can get to the point where you never sin. But I think it's clear that John has already disavowed that position because back in chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So we as Christians never get to the point where we think we've arrived because if we do, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're just ignoring that sin that's in us. And then there's a second position that's rather popular, and that is that the new nature that God has given me cannot sin. God has given me a new nature, and that new nature cannot sin, so every time I sin, it's the old nature from Adam. Now, that's a rather appealing view. That means whenever I sin, I just say, I didn't do it. My old nature did it. That reminds me of the the burglar who was arrested and brought before the judge, and his defense was that his whole body was not involved in the burglary. It was just his arm and his hand. And he said he was willing to freely admit their guilt, but he thought it was unfair for the judge to punish the rest of his body. And so the judge, being rather wise, solved the problem by sentencing sentencing his arm and hand to 30 days in jail and leaving the rest of his body the option of accompanying them. Now, while it's true that we do have a new nature and that new nature is created in righteousness, it's not really consistent with John's argument here to be referring to one nature and another nature inside of the Christian. Because his argument here, the contrast he's making here is between the children of God and the children of the devil. And John is saying, it's obvious who's who. Now, if you're cutting hairs between was it my new nature or my old nature, that's not obvious. What John is saying is, this is obvious. It's the righteousness or unrighteousness that you produce in your life. Very practical, what he's talking about here. Which brings me to a third view, and that's the view I take, and that is that a Christian cannot persist in habitual, continual sin. As a Christian, I cannot sin without a struggle. I cannot sin without experiencing a grief so overwhelming that ultimately it will bring me to repentance and forsaking of that sin. You see, as a Christian, sin is no longer a natural thing for me. It's contrary to my nature, and so it will not be the pattern of my life. And why not? Because John tells us in this verse, because his seed abides in him and because he's born of God. Those are essentially parallel statements. There is no way that a child of God can be characterized by sin because he is born of God. God's life principle 
lives inside of me and because his seed abides in me. Now, what is his seed? Well, I think it's identified in 2 Peter 1.4 where it says we have become partakers of the divine nature. God has placed his divine seed inside of the believer. So when you think about it, a very radical thing takes place when I'm born again. God's nature is in me. And that gives me a thirst for righteousness and a hatred for sin. It gives me a desire for God's will that replaces that desire for lawlessness. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will, that's the desire, and to work, that's the power. God gives you both the desire and the power to accomplish his will. So whenever a Christian sins and says, I can't help it, that's a lie. But I want you to notice something. He says, it's a seed in you. The divine nature comes inside of you as a believer, as a seed. And what does a seed do? It grows. And so it's a gradual process. It's sometimes subject to setbacks. And yet, surely and steadily, it will attain to full fruition. And John is simply saying that the fruit of that seed, righteousness, will be evident in the child of God. And where there is no fruit... There is no life. So John gives us three reasons why the children of God are not characterized by sin. Number one, because of what sin is. It's lawlessness. It's defiance against the law of God. Secondly, because of what Jesus has done. He appeared to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. And thirdly, because of what we are, born of God, and implanted with His seed. And so when we come to verse 10, John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. John says it's obvious because the bottom line is righteousness. Now maybe you're sitting here today And you realize that the continual, habitual pattern of your life is sin. Well, don't despair. Because that's why Jesus came. He came to take away your sins. He came to destroy the devil's work. He came to set you free. He came to give you life. He came to make you a Christian. And as we close this service today, I'm going to ask the praise team to come and lead us in that chorus, faithful and true. And if you desire today to come to Him and receive life, don't delay. And while we're singing, I'm going to ask those who were baptized today to come, those who also want to join this fellowship to come. But if God has spoken to your heart today to realize that you're not really His child, then I invite you most of all to come today to the one who died for you and desires to make you his child. Let's stand as we sing together in closing.